It was about um, a year ago, and um, every month we have a men's breakfast and a, a men's speaker. And about a year ago, one of our guys, uh, Ron Carlson, uh, was speaking. And um, Ron's message that morning to the men was really about doing good deeds and, and acts of kindness and how do you do good to help other people. And it was a great message, and he just encouraged us to, you know, very subtly and quietly help people. How do you help people? And then a few months after that, Tom Goodlett was on stage, and Tom was doing the communion meditation. And um, Tom was talking about his, one of his boys, his oldest boy, which is like five or six at the time, a, a neighbor kid skinned his knee, and the oldest son is five years old, is named Parker. Parker runs into the house, gets some Band-Aids, come back outside, and he bandages up this little kid's knee. And Tom said to his son, Parker, you know, I'm so proud of you. That's really good. And he said, well, Dad, we're goodlets. <laughs> and he said, we do good. And I thought, that's really cool. How many times did Tom and Erica probably said that, you know, maybe 50 times? He said, Dad, Dad, we're, we're goodlets, and, and, and we, we do good. Like, duh, Dad, you know. And so I, I thought about Ron's message about how, you know, we are able to do good, and the little Parker at five saying, we're, we're goodlets, we, we do good. And, and what, what keeps us from having that on our radar all the time? And so I thought, well, we're busy, and we get distracted, and, and, and we're all busy in the room. Everybody's busy, and, and, and everybody gets distracted, and so that, that gives us a pass a little bit because we, we get distracted, but I think there's a deeper issue. I think there's a deeper issue that keeps us from doing good or being good, doing good all the time, and, and I want to talk about that today because I think that very topic will set us free to be able to have leverage for the kingdom of God in, in a much, much greater way. I want to talk about pride today. Aren't you glad you came to church? Huh? I, w- I want to talk about pride today because pride wears a lot of different masks. And the reason I want to talk about this today is because pride destroys relationships. And, and you're relational to the core, especially the women. But every woman, every man, every boy, every girl, every student in this room, the reason we want to get a handle on pride is that pride destroys the relationships that you and I want. It destroys our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It destroys our relationship with Jesus. It destroys our relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're married, it destroys your relationship with your wife or with your husband. It it destroys relationships at work. Pride is a separator. Pride divides people. And so it wears a lot of masks. And most of the time, we don't see it in ourselves. We see it in other people. In fact, right now, you're probably thinking about two or three people that you know that have a lot of pride, right? The the, the irony is, as I was doing this research and studying this past week, I had to stop twice. And I got on my knees both times, and I asked my Heavenly Father to forgive me. Because, you see, Pride just kind of sneaks up on us, and we, we don't always see it. Now, it's obvious when, when people are bragging and people are cocky, and you, you, can see, you can see that. About two years ago at Easter time, I invited, and he's not really a neighbor. He's kind of like two neighborhoods over, but I see him at the Y, and so I invited him to come to church. 
And he said, I'm not interested, thank you. I said, well, if you change your mind, you know, I'm trying to, you know, give him an out and and encourage. He said, well, if you change your mind, he said, Kurt, he said, I think I am God. I said, well, now I'm real curious. I never, I I know people that act that way. I've never heard anybody say that. And I said, what what, what do you mean? He said, I I really do. He said, "I, I, I think I am God. And so as I've kind of gotten to know him a little bit, I think he really does think he's God. So he's out jogging the neighborhood, and I'll tell Danita, Danita, there goes God, there goes God. It's cool, there he goes, there he goes. That's kind of our joke, and probably shouldn't say it out loud, but I think it's funny anyway. Um, so that, that's a mask of pride that we can all see, at least we, most of us can see it. But there are other masks of pride, and there are other masks that, that, that are very clever with this topic. And so We're going to study today, John chapter 13. We all know about Jesus washing feet. We could all probably, you could could probably tell the story. We've all heard that story. How many of you have at least heard or read the story one time about Jesus washing feet? Okay. How many of you have heard at least five times Jesus washing feet? Okay. How many of you have heard at least 10 sermons on this in your life? Yeah, yeah. We know the story. We know the story. But I want to look at it today through the lenses of pride because I think there's something there for us. So let's turn to John chapter 13, look at verse one. Here's here's verse one. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. I mean, he's literally gonna check out in less than 24 hours. This is it. It's winding down. And he would go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, it says, to the end. It's a great passage. The evening meal was was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So we know that, we've seen that, we understand that. Um, Jesus knew, verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, this is a key verse, because in order for us to be able to wash people's feet, and you know that's where I'm going in just a minute with the application. Everybody in the room already knows what the application is. But in order for us to be able to do that, you have to know who you are, and you have to know whose you are, and you have to be able to really understand why you're here and what your deal is and what you're supposed to do. And so it's a great verse because Jesus knew that he was the king. Jesus knew he was the Messiah, and Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. Jesus knew he'd come from God, it says, and Jesus knew he was returning to God. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal. Now, why did he get up? Well, he's checking out in less than 24 hours. He's about to be illegally arrested, go through an all-night trial. He will then be flogged, scourged, and he will go to the cross. And he knows this time. And guess what? The disciples are still asking for favors. Hey, Jesus, um, in your kingdom whatever that's going to be like, can I sit at your right hand? Can, can, I, can I sit at your left hand? Hey, hey, Jesus, time out. We've left everything. We've left our farms and our fields, and we've left our family. Jesus, what about us? What, what's in this for us? And so this whole thing is winding down, and they're asking for favors. And this is like the last dinner meal they're going to really be hanging out with, and, spend it, and, 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 and they're not getting it. And so Jesus does something drastic, very radical. What Jesus does is, is basically be, you know, one of you guys wearing a sport shirt, sport, sport coat, 
and you come in, you came in to the, to the dinner, and all of a sudden, you take off your sport coat, you unloosen your tie, you take your tie off, and you begin to unbutton your dress shirt, you take off your cuff links, and, and, and you're down, you're, you're, you're in an undershirt. And, and, and really what Jesus is doing right now, Jesus is in boxer shorts in our vernacular and an undershirt. He's taken off his, outer, his clothes, outer clothes and he's wrapped a towel now around his waist and he's going to demonstrate for them what his kingdom is all about. Now see, we understand that because in, in our world, everybody's jockeying for position in most marriages, everybody's jockeying for position. In most families, in most offices, in most work environments, even in a lot of churches, it's all about them. And so Jesus is going, my gosh, guys, I'm going to give you an illustration because nobody, nobody's getting it. And this applies to every setting in your life. Socially, somebody has you over for dinner and you don't even offer to help with clean off the table or you don't even offer to help, you know, clean up the dishes. It applies in your home. You're, you volunteer maybe, you know, to, to clean the laundry. You volunteer to fold the laundry. It applies in your neighborhood. You know, there's a storm and there's branches and they're breaking down and they're all over your neighbors. You don't even like this neighbor, but they're all over their sidewalk. And maybe they're not even physically able to do it. And you just, you, just, what, what, you can go over there and help them. It applies at work. You know, you get up and get yourself a cup of coffee. What about the people who, who are around you? It applies to church world. I mean, even church, if, if there's trash on the church parking lot, do you walk by it or, 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 do, or do you pick it up? I mean, I mean Jesus' example he's getting ready to show us applies to every dimension of our life, and it's other-centered. Jesus is trying to help his disciples to see that my kingdom is about others. My kingdom is not me-centered. My kingdom is other-centered, so radically different. And so he gets up from the meal because they're asking for favors. They're not getting it. He takes off his outer clothes. He's in his underwear, a T-shirt maybe. I don't know. He wraps his towel around his waist. Look at verse 5. And he begins to pour water into a basin. The disciples are going, huh? Because, see, they were all recognized the fact that nobody was washing their feet. And you've heard this, the slowest slave is always the one that washed the feet. And there wasn't a slave at the house. We don't know why. But nobody, so everybody's thinking it. I, I mean, you know, Peter's thinking, I'm not going to wash feet. And James is going, I'm not, well, it's not going to be me. And, and Thomas is it's not going to be me. I mean, everybody in the room is thinking it. And all of a sudden... The one who has walked on water, the one who's raised Lazarus from the dead, the one who's taught the amazing Sermon on the Mount that nobody else could ever dream or imagine how awesome that was, the one who can do it all, he is the one right now who is down in a T-shirt. And he begins to wash their feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a foot washing service before, and that's not what this is about, that we're supposed to wash feet in church, but, but I, I was in seminary, and it was a class one day, and the professor, he's got two PhDs, and the professor didn't say a word, he just started washing, there's about a hundred of us in the room, he just started washing all of our feet, and it was one of the most humbling acts that you could ever imagine and experience. 
to have someone that you highly esteem, someone that's 10 blocks ahead of me, and he's washing my feet. It's amazing. And so Jesus begins to pour water, begins to wash their disciples' feet, dries them with a towel that's wrapped around him. Look at verse 6. And he comes to Simon Peter. Now you can always count on Peter to give you a sermon illustration. Always. But you've got to love Peter, don't you? Because this is, this is pride on steroids. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And the answer to that question was going to be yes. Here's a definition of pride. I just want to give us a definition on one of the masks of pride. If you've got a bulletin, you want to take notes, we can fill in a couple of blanks here. Pride is the belief that you have everything in your life under control because of your uniqueness, power, authority, and competence. And you don't need anyone or anything. That's just one of the masks of pride. This is a working definition of pride. You don't need anyone or you don't need anything in pride. Now, I like this picture. Um, See if you like the picture that goes along with this. I am not arrogant. I'm just a lot better than you. I think that's funny. Do you think that's funny? That's meant to be a joke, okay? But isn't that how some people act? Isn't that how some people walk around? And and you see, again, I want to say this again. The reason why you want to get a handle on this is because pride is a destroyer. It will destroy everything that's valuable in your life. It already has destroyed things. You already know this. You've already had broken relationships, broken blah, 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 because of pride. And yet, because of pride, you can't even admit that and lay that down. And so pride is the destroyer of everything, every person that's valuable to you. This is why this is important. And so where does pride come from? I mean, where, where did it, like, like, originate from? Well, pride started with um, Lucifer. His name is Lucifer. It's called Satan, serpent. And uh, the book of Ezekiel tells us about Satan's fall, Lucifer's fall, and his pride. And it tells us about how a third of the angels then fell with him to this world. So, so it started with, with Lucifer. And Lucifer... God created Lucifer as the most beautiful of all the angels. He was a huge archangel, big dog, big dog angel. But he wasn't happy just being a big dog angel. He wanted to be God. And Lucifer thought he could be God. He, he wanted to rival God. And so he, he fell. And so then a third of the angels came with him, and they're here in the world, and they're causing all kinds of havoc today. When you see pride in your workplace, you see pride in your neighborhood, you see pride in your family, you see pride in the culture that you're in, you see pride everywhere. And so it comes from Satan, it comes from the world, but but also uh, it comes from within you. There there is something within you called the flesh, and, and the flesh will mount itself up sometimes and just rise up and I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this way. Even though it destroys you, you still hold on 
Because you just, you just, it's something, you're just not going to lay it down. So pride comes from Satan, comes from the world, and comes, comes from the flesh. It really does. Now, maybe you're not, still not buying this whole pride thing. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you really need this sermon. And then, and then tell them, say, I don't need this. <laughs> say, I'm so glad you're here to hear this because you really need to hear this today. And, and, and so maybe you're not buying the whole pride thing, okay? But um, this is one thing we all have in common. Everybody in the room, it's universal. It is a vice that every one of us struggle with. Some more, some less. Some's clear, some's kind of hidden. So I, I want to ask you um, some questions, and I want to see if, if we can get to some of those questions. Where am I? What, what's the next verse? Yep, there we go. I fished for compliments. I want to give you eight of these questions because I want to ask you if pride is a part of your life. I'm trying to help you uncover some of this. See, because I, I want to say this again. Half of you in the room know you've got pride. Half of you in the room don't know you've got pride. All of us in the room have pride, okay? So here's a couple other ways to see if we can look at this. I fish for compliments, even using feigned humility to draw them out. Number two, I feel crushed at any form of criticism. I just, I just get rattled with criticism. I feel like I should be above criticism. I feel like criticism shouldn't happen to me. Criticism just puts me in the tank. Criticism paralyzes me. I, I, I feel I just get crushed when people criticize me. Number three, I harbor a critical spirit towards others in my field who are more successful. I think that happens to a lot of people, doesn't it? Somebody said a good definition of envy is envy is you're counting other people's blessings. And so are are you worried about other people who might be just a tad more successful than you in your particular field, all right? Number four, I I used to need the Bible. I used to. to, When I was younger, I I needed the Bible. I needed the Bible to help me with relationships. I needed the Bible to help me with money. I needed the Bible to help me with with business. I I used to need the Bible, but, but I don't really feel the need for it today. Here's a really good barometer if you read the Bible less today than you did a, a year ago, you, your pride meter just went up because you don't feel like you need it. Number five, I am capable and sufficient for meeting needs, running an office, running a company. I'm capable and sufficient for handling my marriage. I'm capable and sufficient for going to school, getting a degree, having an internship, wh- whatever it is, without the need for prayer. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just really capable, you know, because I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job with life. I don't really need God's insight. I don't really need God to give me direction. I'm pretty good at what I do. And I, the reason I'm good at it is because I'm smart. And so, I, so there's a good, another indicator would be is, you know, do you, do you pray a lot less than you did a year ago? If so, you, you, your pride's going this way. Now, here's the great news is if you're actually praying more and reading the Bible more, then, then hopefully your pride's going down. That, that's the good news. Number, number six, I tell others my success, but I hide my failures. Um, 
About five years ago, one of my prayer partners, and both of them were in the last hour, but one of them was sitting right over here on the front row, and he told me about five years ago, he said, I don't really learn as much from your successes. He said, I learn a whole lot more from your failures. And I never really, I never really thought about that before. It was a great, great conversation that we had. You know, people can really learn from your transparency. People can, can so learn. But, but if you can't be transparent, if you can't tell people, yeah, man, I made that mistake, and yeah, I did that, and yeah, I wouldn't do that again, and here, here, I mean, I mean this, this was a great snafu back in, you know, that, that's a sign of pride. That's a sign that you struggle with pride. Now, here's the other funny thing about pride is you don't have to be in some, you don't have to be Donald Trump to have that kind of a position, to have, to have pride. Every position, every level of, of humanity struggles with this, all right? Number seven, I never say sorry. Um, well, that's a big one. That's a big one. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling anymore. I'm not real good at it. I tell them both to sit down and shut up. And this is how it's supposed to be. And I, I, I don't, it doesn't work. I don't understand that. It, it, it should work. So I, I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. Carol Bermude runs circles around me, our, our counselor, and she, she does most of it. But back when I did some of this, and they all left the church, just kidding. But back when I did some of this, it was interesting. There was usually one spouse that would never say I'm wrong. There was usually one both are at fault, but usually one that would never lay it down. Come hell or high water, I'm not laying it down. And when you have one person in a relationship that will not lay it down, there's going to be pride and there's going to be separation. I never say sorry. Number eight, I stopped thanking, you know, people and I really stopped thanking God. You know, you know, People that have lots of pride aren't real grateful. There's not a lot of sense of gratitude. They're, they're not real grateful people. They're entitled people. They expect it. This is what ought to take place. And so you can always see that people that are full of pride are not really thanking people or encouraging people or, or thanking God for the position that they're in. All right, let's go to verse 7 and 8. John chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. So Jesus had just said, you know, Peter... I'm getting ready to, to do this. Peter's going, no way. And Jesus said to Peter, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Look at verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, can you imagine the rest of the story if Peter didn't lay it down? We wouldn't have Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the church, standing up and giving the first sermon, would we? C- can you imagine how your holy history story would be better and would be different if you laid it down? If today you made a decision, I'm going to lay it down. Now, if you don't lay it down, we won't know the rest of your holy history story. But if you lay it down, we will know a holy history story about you. The choice is up to you. The choice is up to every one of us when it comes to this topic today. So Peter says, no, there's no way. But just imagine... Just imagine what your world would be like if you were goodlets and we, we do good. Imagine, if a five-year-old can get that. Imagine what your world would be like as Ron Carlson came and talked to us doing acts of kindness. Imagine what it would be like in your marriage, your neighborhood. I mean, don't you all have some crazy neighbors? What if you serve those crazy neighbors? Everybody have crazy neighbors in a neighborhood? If, if you don't think you do, maybe you're the crazy neighbor. <laughs> Just a suggestion. I don't know. 
just a thought. So, so your world, your marriage, your home, can you imagine, you imagine if you guys actually served your mom and dad? We'd have to call 911, but can you imagine what that would be like if you volunteered and did things to serve your parents? Imagine you served your spouse. You know, my, my, it doesn't take away from your role. It doesn't take away from your position. Look at John chapter 13 now, verse 12. See, when he'd finished saying, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Washing their feet did not change his place. It did not change who he was. He put his clothes back on and he returned to his place. And he said, do you guys understand? I'm checking out here in just about 24. Do you understand what's going on? Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. You see, that's the point. He's still the teacher. He's still the Lord. And I think sometimes we think that if we actually serve people, that will diminish our position. I'm still the senior pastor, but I'm to serve Dean. I'm to serve Jonathan. I'm to serve the pastors. I'm to serve our staff. It doesn't take away my position. It doesn't take away your position. This is what what we do. Even in positional leadership, we serve all those people who are around us. You call me teacher and Lord, said Jesus. Notice what he didn't say? And and I'm not. He said, said, and I am. You call me teacher and Lord, you got it. That is rightly so. That is what I am. Verse 14. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so what I want to do real quickly is I want to give you 10 remedies for pride. And I don't, if you want to write these in your bulletin, great. And I, and I don't want you to try all 10 of these. I, don't want, I want you to pick one. Pick the doozy for you. Pick the one that you struggle with the most. I'm going to give you 10. And then from this point on, after today, I'm going to encourage you just to pick one and to work on this one. Here's the first one. 10 remedies. Number one, is you right-size God and you right-size yourself. In other words, he's really, really big. You're really, really small. He's going to live forever. You're going to die. Okay? You right-size God and you right-size yourself. You are going to die, and you are really, really small. You're a lot smaller than you think you are. You're really, really small. Number two, you remind yourself that the Lord hates pride. The Bible talks about this in several different places. The Bible says he hates pride. Number three, You remember that all you have is a gift of grace. Are you smart? He gave you that ability. Are you good with your hands? He gave you that ability. Are you good with people? Now, now you've developed those gifts. You've worked hard on that. But he gave you the original material to allow you to expand that and, and to develop that. Everything you and I have, everything you and I have is a gift of grace. Number four. Decide that you will not seek the high places. This is, this is out of a Proverbs. This is a high place. Let's look at this verse. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7 says, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. And so I, I call this, Do not seek the high places. The high places. All right, the next one. Stop being a self-publicist. 
And here, here, here's what, what I mean by that. A self-publicist, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2 says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. An outsider and, and not, not your own lips. And we've all heard this. We've all heard people bragging and boasting and talking about themselves. I've done it. You've done it. Every one of us in this room has done it. And Proverbs 27, 2 verse says, let somebody else do it. All right? Let's look at the next one. These are just remedies. Pick one of these. Be accountable to someone. Chances are, if if you're not accountable to anybody, your your opportunity for your pride meter to rise is going to get higher and higher and higher. I've got men I'm accountable to. It's smart. It's wise. You want to be accountable to people in your life. It will It will help you and build your relationships. Number seven, remember that God gives grace to the humble. He does. He gives grace. I need grace. I want grace. You want grace. You need grace. Look at this verse. Proverbs 3, 34, he mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. God gives grace to the humble. All right, let's look at the next one. Number eight. Give some time to self-examination. And, and, and in order for you to even understand your own level of pride, you've got to stop and think about it. So go to the John Chestnut. Go to Causeway. Go to Philippi Park Beach. Go and just spend some time and ask yourself and ask God, am I proud? Do I, do I struggle with this? Number nine, practice boasting only about Christ and his cross. This is a great one. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here, here is Paul. He's going to boast. And so if you want to boast about something, boast about the cross. The cross is worthy of you and I boasting about. And this is what Paul did. He was a leader. He was brilliant. He spoke languages. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. There, there wasn't anybody more skilled than the apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus. And yet he's not going to boast about his education. He's not going to boast about how many books of the Bible we now read. He's not going to boast about how many little churches he started. He's going to boast about the cross. The cross. Number 10. Think often about Christ's humility. I I think this one is a good one. This comes from Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be uh, used to his own advantage. Rather, he just gave it up. Rather, he laid it down. Rather, he surrendered to the will of the Father. We're going to pass out the Lord's Supper at this time. I want you just to take the loaf and take the cup. and You you, you can do it on your own in just a minute. But I want you to look at those ten. And during communion this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you just to take one of those. And maybe it's a confessional. Maybe it's... I need help with this, but during this time of the Lord's Supper, would, would, would you take the area that's the biggest 
barrier for you, maybe the biggest blunder for you, would you take that and would you lay it down? And, and would you ask him, the one who gave it all, would you ask him to take it, take it away from you so that you can be the woman, the man, the servant that he's called you to be? I put this into practice. Heaven comes. When you and I serve people, when you and I wash people's feet, when you and I lay it down, when you and I humbly love other people, it, it, it changes everything. So what do you do with a sermon like this? What do you do with a message like this? What's well, really up to you? That's the beauty of this this morning. It, it is 100% entirely up to you. But, but we're in this together. And this is how church world works. We, we, we work together. We, we help each other. Um, Danita, my wife, and Emily, the youngest, um, we had an incredible fishing trip yesterday. We had one of those days that was just a really, really good day. And we went out 50 miles to catch amberjack, and I I caught an amberjack as big as some of you. I'm prideful right now, okay? I did. It was huge. Emily did too. Emily caught a huge amberjack. So we went a year ago, and Danita tried a year ago, and she didn't catch any legal ones that we could keep. And yesterday she caught four sharks, which you don't want to catch sharks when you're you're catching amberjack. So she caught four sharks. And so she's disappointed. And so we come in from 50 miles to 40 miles, and we start catching reds. We start catching red grouper just left and right. And then Danita hooks the biggest cobia I've never seen a cobia this big. This cobia is five feet long. It is huge. And, and what happened next was the only way we're going to have a shot to get this thing in the boat is everybody has to work together. All of a sudden, one man starts going around the boat, picking up all the poles, because that cobia is just, it's towing us. It's dragging all the way around. Uh, another, Emily's videoing it. Uh, the guy's driving the boat. He's driving the engines to keep us from getting the, the fishing line wrapped around the, 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 the engines and snapping it off. It's 30. Denise got the pole in her hand and for the, for the first 10 seconds, she was in trouble. This fish was in complete control, taking outline and towing us. That's how big this fish was. And so I grab her arm and I grab her, the pole, and we are doing the two-step cobia dance on that boat. We got the cobia tango going on for 30 minutes. There's no way. I mean, both of us together are barely able to to handle this. We finally get the fish up close to the boat and he gaffs it. One guy gaffs it and that's not enough. He can't pull it in. So we got the line, we got the pole, one gaff doesn't work, we have to get a second gaff. Now two of us, two of us, then there's a third guy, because you get a cobia on the deck, it's it's more dangerous than a shark, because they flail and go crazy. So another guy's hitting it on the head with a bat. Sorry about that, ladies. But anyway, anyway, so there's three of us, three of us men that are just working overtime. And Danita's, you know, we get the fish in, and we all just like... Oh, praise the Lord. And it's a 75-pound cobia. And, and Danita said this. She said, there's no way. If you hadn't done this, and you hadn't done this, and you hadn't done this, and you hadn't done this. I mean, I mean, there are four or five of us men that have worked as hard as we've ever worked for 30 minutes of our entire life to get to land this fish. 
That's how this works. We, we, we work together. We're, we're a part of the church. We work together how we serve people. We come alongside of each other. And, and see, we don't have pride. We lay the pride down. And it's teamwork. And the teamwork then allows us to minister to the world. And the world sees us washing feet and it can't figure it out. The world can't figure out why we're laying it down when everybody else is raising it up. But see, Jesus' kingdom is completely different. And the disciples, until Jesus rose from the dead, or maybe it was until he washed their feet, they didn't get it. So the question is, do you get it? So John chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Now that you know these things, now, now that you know this, you see, guys, maybe you didn't know this before. Before before I washed your feet, maybe you did. But now that you know these things, what things? I'm still your teacher. I'm still your Lord. I'm still your master. And I've set an example for you. And let me tell you something. If you put this into practice, he said, you will be blessed. Here's the question. Do you want to be blessed this week? And how blessed do you want to be? It's up to you. You honestly are in the driver's seat with this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So how in your world, whether it's school, whether it's business, whether it's home, how in your world, neighborhood, how church, how, where and how can you put these things into practice? And you see, we, we all work together. That, that's what we do. We're, we're called the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, we all do this collectively together. And we're stronger. We're not more prideful, but we're stronger when we serve the Lord like this together. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. Maybe today it's your day to give your life to Jesus. That's about pride. That's about pride. It's not that people don't have enough knowledge that Jesus rose from the dead. People get that. But it really comes down to whether or not I'm going to accept that somebody else can get me to heaven. I can't get there on my own. I need a Savior. I need somebody who died for me. That's about pride. Being baptized is all about pride. You think about Christian. We've had, we've had 200 some baptisms this year, which has been awesome. But you think about the people who chose not to be baptized. Are you kidding? I'm not going to go get baptized, get wet in front of all those people at the beach. Are you kidding? I'm not going to get my hair wet. It's about pride. And so today, I just want to ask you to, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be really blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so maybe today is your day to become a Christian. We'll lay it down. Maybe today is your day to say, I want to be baptized into Christ. Maybe today is your day to restore some relationships that just your stubborn pride has kept you from restoring. Maybe today is a day for incredible breakthrough. Maybe you need prayer this morning because of those 10, you got all 10 of them going on, okay? And you're struggling with all 10. Come down front and let somebody today pray for you and pray over you. You will be blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you 
We thank you, Jesus, for this example you've set for us. Didn't take away your position. It just solidified it and showed what your kingdom was all about. Now, as the king's servants, lead us to go out in this world right now and do these things that you've called us to do. And then you bless us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.